because that's the thing about the book too. It's like, it's a heavy topic, but it's funny as hell because there's a bunch of stories from like the band and like psychedelic stories. Like I turned into a crystal one night, like told that story. Hi, this is Sari, and you're listening to the Secret Art Project Podcast. Creativity, mental health, and spiritual health are deeply connected to Maine's life. After spending years working with rock stars and filmmakers, I decided to get a theology degree. And since then, I've been cultivating my own creative practice. Experience has convinced me that exercising creativity can help us realize who we're supposed to be and manifest a better world. So join me as we talk through the process, interview experts, and get a little weird along the way. Wow. You look amazing today. Just thought I'd tell you that. I'm recording this intro at 6.18 a.m. Because I started, I couldn't finish last night. My whole family was asleep. My whole family is still asleep, but they're not as close to me right now. But I couldn't record last night. I wanted to stay quiet. And also my brain was dead. I'm not sure if my brain's alive, but at least I slept. That's why I got the raspy voice. And I started something called the 6 a.m. club because I wanted to start waking up at 6 a.m., but I don't have enough willpower just within myself. So I know that if I have even the chance that someone might be expecting me to be somewhere, I the chances are that I'll get up to do that, like increased by a lot. Two souls this week have been joining me. This has been the fourth, and I did it successfully, the fourth meetup. It lasts like five minutes, if that. That's no time. But we get on. For my personality, this is what I need. And a, a part of the reason is because my partner, he's going to Panama for two weeks to finish shooting his first feature-length film, which I'm so proud of him. But so I'll be doing single parenting stuff. And if I wake up at six, I can do some stuff for me and my projects. If I want to like journal or meditate or just have some alone time, whatever. Get something done before she wakes up or before I have to wake her up for school. So that was part of the motivation. And at least it's not the 5 a.m. club is what I said, which is a thing. I read I started reading this book called the 5 a.m. club. And it's written like a novel kind of about this group of people that get up at 5 a.m. and how it changes your life and stuff. Maybe I'll get there someday. They say like all those like hugely the most successful people in the world get up at 5 a.m., right? Like Steve Jobs and stuff. On the first day of the 6 a.m. club, I read a quote which was apparently based on some research that I got through Ancestry.com where they give you little tidbits about your DNA. And... They told me that my I have the gen- genetic markers that indicate that or are conducive to being more of a night owl, which does ring true to me. But it said that the interesting thing to me was it said that you're most likely to have a stroke of inspiration on your off-peak hours. So when your body's, no, go back to sleep, but you like make yourself be up and working on something, that you're more often more creative during your off-peak times when you stretch it in another direction. 
So I thought that was interesting. Not 100%. I mean, I think they probably do good scientific research over there, but who knows? What I do is we get on right at six and I've been playing music for a little bit, usually just like a minute, maybe two. I got kind of into it today and let it go a little long. And then I stop the music and then I read a quote and I did it on Monday and Tuesday and then Wednesday I flaked. I don't even remember my alarm going off. Some weird things happened that night, so I was off for sure. And then today was day four and I did it. And the quote was, never confuse a single defeat with a final defeat. Kind of self-referential, you know, because yesterday I wasn't there. Today I was, you know. Since last week, actually the day after I released that last week's episode, last Thursday, on the Friday, I reached 100% of my crowdfunding goal. Yay! Thank you, everyone who helped. I got to that 15,000 number that I had set as a goal to raise in 16 days of crowdfunding. And it was amazing and really affirming. I have announced what's called a stretch goal, which is what you do when you reach your goal faster than you thought. If people still want to give, there's good reason to. For, For a few K more, you can... We can help fund the special effects for this movie. There's going to be some weird stuff going on in this movie, including a gooey little alien baby. So if I want to compensate the people who are going to help me create the look I want fairly or just enough to clear my conscience, at least, I will need more. So my new goal is 10k more so that'll bring the total budget of the film to 25 and if you want to get in on that check out the campaign winemakermovie.com the links in the show notes and yeah again thank you to everyone who helped out there's a few names of people whose incentives include public recognition public gratitude and i'm going to say their names now wes Skolitz, Greg Kutsona and Laura Kutsona, Gabriel Barreto, Nathan Brumley, my cousin. Got the cousins coming in strong on this one. Laura Stadaris. I hope I pronounced your last name right. Sarah Weiss, Renee Gannon O'Gara, Scott Adair, Aaron Isaac Vasquez, who's one of those souls who's been joining me in the 6 a.m. club, which is awesome. Sarah Lane Ritchie, Joelle Shore and Phil Shore, Aaron Tilt, and just of last night, Luke DeBrower. Thank you so much, Luke. Next, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about my guest, Kyle Nicolaitis. He was a client of mine in the music business when I was a manager. My boss signed his band or signed him individually. At first he was just Kyle Nicolaitis and then he chose the band name Beware of Darkness and worked with him for several years. I met him when he was 19 years old and we worked with, I worked with him for many years. Anyway, I'm glad we're able to still call each other friends. He was depressed the whole time 
I knew him. And he was like, what's wrong with me? All my dreams are coming true. You know, like he had, he had a song called Howl, H-O-W-L. That was like played on the radio. Got him on a lot of big festival shows. He had all the things of like a manager, an agent, international agent. He had a great record label that was really supportive of him and whom he's still really close to a bunch of the folks from his record label, which I think is not unusual, probably. <laughs> the the folks that I should shout out, the folks at Bright Antenna, Tiffany DeBarlow and Braden Merrick and Scott Schumacher. And they had a great team. Sorry, that's not all of you I know, but and sometimes they would do a weekly office yoga time at their record label, which just shows, for, it foreshadows that this was the perfect label for Kyle because this is the path he's on. Bright Antenna would have weekly yoga at their office. And if we called their office accidentally during their weekly yoga hour, we couldn't get anybody on the phone. And my boss would get so annoyed by that. <laughs> it was so hilarious. He's like, you know, he's old school. He's coming from another time. He values hard work and and doesn't do yoga. I don't think, no, Andy probably never did any yoga. But anyway, that was funny. Funny to me. Kyle had like a shaman-led ceremonial ayahuasca experience. Well, now he's had several, but after the first one, his experience cured his depression. He didn't feel depressed after that anymore. And now he's written a book about it. He wrote a book called Thank God for Depression. It sort of rewired his brain to see his depression as a companion for spiritual insight and awakening. And so really interesting story, really interesting book. As of this week, you can get the audiobook. Which he read himself and the, you know, depression books, you might be like, oh, that sounds like a downer, but he's got a lot of crazy stories in it and it's written in a pretty, pretty entertaining way. He self-released it. He did a crowdfunding ca campaign to raise the money to do that. It was super successful. He ended up a few K over his goal and I'm just really happy for him and proud of him. What else? Oh, I do need to say, as always but especially with this episode, that nothing in this episode constitutes medical advice. You should always consult your doctor before doing any kind of intervention. This conversation is for interest and entertainment purposes only. And he's going to talk about doing drugs, so if that is uncool with you. You could just skip this one. Um, my friend Saraline Ritchie, who I gave a shout out, thank you to, has done research in what she calls spiritual technologies, not just substances, but, but yes, substances, as well as other things that help facilitate spiritual experiences or encounters with divine, that kind of stuff. I'll probably include some of that research in the future for sure. I did want to add, and Kyle's upfront about this, that he's still working on a lot of stuff. So <laughs> even though he felt like 
the cure to his depression after, you know, 10 or 15 years of suffering with that came quickly through the first ceremony. He's still working on anxiety and a bunch of other stuff, peeling the layers of the onion. So I don't know. I just want to say that in case you thought this story was going to be like a quick fix to your mental health problems type thing. It's not like that. So last thing I'll say is 6am club. I've mostly been doing like a little bit of physical activity, like five to 10 minutes of a workout or walking or whatever to get my brain going. And then a few pages of journaling, which has been really cool. It's really nice to make that a priority in the morning. Probably should have journaled before I recorded this. (laughs) I was going to tell you guys. Last week, I talked about how I just used my improv tool kit to just hop on the mic and start talking. This week in improv, we were doing a montage of a bunch of scenes, and I had been given the feedback by my improv teacher to not be afraid to throw on some big energy now and then. I think the characters I come up with can be a little bit lower energy, more talky and thoughtful or whatever. And so taking that advice, a couple of my my fellow students in the class were doing a scene and it's there's precedent for you to like, you know, you can step into a scene, you can end a scene, you can, everyone's invited. So a couple of my classmates are doing a scene where they're like in New York City and one of them's like selling fake Rolexes and other ones buying them. And for what whatever reason in the scene, one of my classmates, Nick, my, Nick was offering to buy a Rolex with a bowl full of dimes. And I was like, I'm going to go in hot. I decided to enter the scene as like a robber or a bandit of some sort. I run up to I just run up to Nick with all like as fast as I can. And I yell. Give me those fucking dimes. Give me those fucking dimes. And I like yell that in his face and then pretend to grab the bowl of dimes and then pretend to run away. But I'm coming in so hot and I'm wearing boots, like kind of like Western style boots. And I eat it so hard. I just, I'm like, give me those fucking dimes. And then I just slide like my boots just keep going from under me. And I just, my ass hits the ground hard and. Actually, I haven't checked, but I bet I have a bruise down there somewhere. Anyway, at least I know how to take feedback. I'll just, you know, I'll wear rubber sole shoes probably going forward in improv. Okay, I love you. Enjoy my conversation with Kyle. I seem to remember that as a child, though, you had two great gifts. One of them was music, and another was playing a certain magic. Wait, I need to hear this. Magic. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to say video games. Yeah. Oh my god. So funny. Do I remember correctly? I got to put. Yeah, I got to put that in my bio actually, because that's like. That's funny as hell. I went to the national championships for Magic the Gathering you at were age that, like thirteen. You were that good. I was that well, yeah. I was <laughs> I was pretty good. I mean, I was playing against college kids. I had you know what probably the most important decision I ever made in my life was 
coming out of eighth grade and going into high school. And I remember thinking like, it's either music or Magic the Gathering right now. And I'm like thinking like, what's going to be cooler in high school? I was like, you're going to be like the dork with all the trading cards and like the fucking binder and be like, what? check out, check this out, you know? Or I'm going to be like the cool musician that like people actually want to be around. And I actually wound up selling all my Magic cards and buying like a guitar, a keyboard and like some recording gear. So. <laughs> I mean, culturally, the pressure is pretty strong if you're thinking about like, you have like guitar heroes on one side and like, you know, people who play Magic the Gathering. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now it, yeah, I know. Because well, that was like 2009 or no, that was like 2004. So like it, it wasn't as cool now where you, like you can be like, it would be like a cool thing now if I was like, yo, I'm a rock star and I play Magic the Gathering. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You could get away like, with back it. In the, it was pretty fringe back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I can I can speak more to your question if you want. Please, yeah, like, like tell a story. And stuff. Yeah, I love it. I had this profound awakening moment at like age like five or six where I was in the back of my mom's car and she was driving over a freeway overpass in Santa Barbara and I was like looking at the sky and I was like the stars and the moon and everything and I had this thought where I was like, I don't want to do like a normal nine to five or like a normal job. It was like a weird, it was a, it was pretty crazy to have like an existential moment like that for, for being that young. When you're like in so, kindergarten or something, yeah. Yeah, or was that kind of, I might have been like seven or eight. I'm so bad with like numbers and stuff. Like I could have been like, Sarah, I saw you, I saw you a week ago. You're like, this has been like six years. But yeah, so I, I had that. I was probably seven or eight actually. So I had that moment. And then my best friend, Brendan, like a week later told me he was taking piano lessons. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And uh, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to rewind. Actually, I forget about this. I used to have night terrors as a kid. Dude. Like so afraid, so afraid to go to sleep every night. I thought monsters were coming after me. Like I was the most sensitive kid of all time. Like nervous system was wrecked. And I'm like doing the work right now that like pretty much did, like I was born two months early. What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. So much there. Did, did your night terrors continue for you like till you were older and like in your teens or was it mostly a childhood thing? It was mostly a childhood thing, but like sleep anxiety, like it's still like up to now. Wow. Of just like going into bed and like the anxiety just blooming. Yeah. But I start. I, I made up a game where I was like, oh, if I sing, like, the monsters won't get me. Wow. So it was funny because I've been singing since I was, like, three. But I would sing in bed because I was like, was Frankenstein under my bed? Is something going to come out of the window yeah. and get me? So so I, I was already singing and then started playing piano. And then it was just, like, a series of crashing into things and, like, falling into things accidentally where it's, like, you know, play, I cried going to every piano lesson because I didn't want to do it. And I was like too, like he was trying to teach me how to read music and I was too lazy to do that. And then I like learned by ear. So I just, so that was a big gift. And then he actually got, he had a recording set up and he, the coolest thing about this teacher was like, he's like, Hey, if you write a song, you can come in and record it. So I started writing songs and it was like, the, it was the coolest thing in the world. Cause he's like, you know, we'd go through all the presets and he's like, you can do this, you can do that. So that was really cool. And his name is Dick Dunlap and he, he got me into recording and sound. And it was always a soothing thing for me of like the feeling of making your own recording. It like calmed me down. So, yeah. and I'm going to go into like a bigger picture of like, you know, sound as prayer and stuff. But so then like me and my friend Brendan were like, piano's lame. We're going to in a junior high. Let's get some instruments that fuck, you know, and we started playing clarinet. And then he started playing bass and then like, I wanted to play bass. And then I walked into a guitar shop and they're like, 
you know, I'm like, hey, I'm left-handed, I want to play bass. And they're like, no, you're going to be a right-handed guitar player. And then like never, never wanted to sing, but Santa Barbara was so small that like, I just, I was like, well, I got to learn, learn how to do that. And then played in bands all high school, like didn't really go out or socialize till I was like 16. Cause I was just like, I had a drum kit recording studio, just writing songs, recording them all day. And then when I was like 18 or 19, I was like, maybe you should do something with all, I wrote like 300 songs. So then moved to LA and then we started playing shows and then we met. Yeah. Started a band and then. Yeah. You were like and, ni- 19, I think. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I met so you. So then started, started a band called Beware of Darkness. Insert anecdote. Like I wasn't at the first show. So I was part of your management team, but my boss somehow got dragged to see you play at the Silver Lake Lounge and. I think I remember that like your bass player didn't show up to that show or canceled last minute or something. So you ended just, up like, playing. Yeah. Yeah. You ended up playing for all these like managers and agents, but like just with you, you and a drummer, right? It was just you and a drummer. Yeah. Yeah. And it was insane. But like everybody signed you anyway. So that's pretty It impressive. was crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty cool. That was after like six to nine months of grinding and like playing yeah. shows to no one. Yeah. You know? So, but yeah, it was like the bass player didn't show up. Like he's, oh, we had a show tonight. And I was like, bro. And like the amount of times that's happened to me, it's funny as hell, but. Yes, I know. Yeah. And, and then, also I feel like your parents have always been pretty supportive of that part of your life. Yeah. Yo, they've been the most Your mom is like, like this. I mean, I don't like know your parents super well. I've met them a bunch of times, but your mom has this really like, just like welcoming energy, like this real sweetness about her. And then your dad has this sort of eccentric, like. <laughs> I don't know what other words to give your your father, but they're they're an interesting the wild ones and you yeah and I see them both in you and yeah it's just really cool that they seem to have always nurtured that part of your life. Yeah, I mean they that it's been like the biggest blessing because my mom would she was driving me to shows because I couldn't drive to my own shows so she like drive drive to shows with me and you know stay and like help me and yeah I remember I made a record myself. I made a record all alone. I was like 17 or 18 mm-hmm. and we had an all night mastering session in LA. Like she drove with me and like stayed up all night long and mm-hmm. drove back together. So like she, she's been like the biggest champion and yeah. Awesome. And my dad's just like the biggest music fan ever. Yeah. Yeah. He's a wild one. So. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll ask you one question here too. Did music, did that really fuse with your sense of like your sense of identity or purpose or were you even thinking in those terms? Were you just following your gut or did it have like a self-shaping power in your life where you're like, this is a huge part of my identity? Like, how are you? Th- what, what do you what, what do you make of that? It was a show. That's a great question, actually. It was my entire identity. And I actually write about this in the book because what happened was since I, I mean, it's funny because... <laughs> It's like anxiety and like success and fame were so interwoven for me because I had this whole thing of like, my life doesn't matter if I'm not famous or like, I don't matter if I'm, I'm not making art. Mm-hmm. So like m- since I was a kid or 12 or 13, like my self-worth was tied to productivity. Mm. So if I wrote a song, I felt like I was amazing. If I didn't write a song that day, I was like, bro, it was basically kill yourself. It was basically like depression. So when the band took off, it was really interesting because my entire identity was beware of darkness. And like, I'm the lead singer of a rock band. So it was, the, it was the thing where I was like, if we got a tour, 
I was like, I'm the, I'm the shit, you know, like I'm amazing. But then like, if we got passed on for like a radio thing or like if something fell through or like someone didn't like a song, I was, I was like, I'm the scum of the earth. So it was this really unfortunate roller coaster. And I think a lot of people are trapped in that. And then when the band broke up, I had no idea who I was. Yeah. Do you feel like that just it comes naturally in this like ecosystem of capitalism that you end up with that or like that idea of productivity being like your whole sense of self-worth and like, I got to write a song, I got to write a song or I'm like this worthless person, like because your parents aren't like whipping you, telling you to write songs or anything, right? Like, Yeah. (laughs) I feel like no one's no one's doing that. I feel like it comes super naturally just in our culture to just think that way. Right. But also the fame thing is a big part of it. Like the, if this tool is this is a tool to me being famous and being famous is how I'm going to be both known and loved, which is a natural desire of all like everybody actually needs to be known and loved or they die pretty much. Yeah. And yeah. and like with social media and stuff like everyone, you, you can really naturally think that, oh, fame's the way to like get that or something. And then your songs are the tools to get that or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but. No, I mean, it's true. And like. I'm going to try to speak to this eloquently, but the biggest lesson, so I'm learning about action right now. I'm studying action and what is the intent behind the action and what's the movement behind the action. So the whole story with me and Beware of Darkness was I was already depressed as hell before the band. And I was like, maybe if I get famous, maybe if I make money, maybe if people love my music, I'll feel better. And all that did was just compound all the depression I had because now I was like, I had some money, I was famous, I had a bunch of stuff flying around and it just compounded everything that was already there. So it's interesting. Also, like you want to talk about creatively. When you create from a place of anxiety or I'm not enough, it's, it's not fun and it's going to choke the process. And for me, it has not produced like the truest art, like the most authentic art. And I'm like making that shift and it's, it's still, it's such a mental game because I guess this is like the last, the end of the autobiography, but the band broke up after eight or 10 years or something. I, my depression bottomed out, anxiety raging because I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what to do with my life. Did a solo tour, like a couple of things popped up, like really struggled, like didn't realize how bad it got. And then uh, I found plant medicine, like ayahuasca mushrooms and like all of it. So but during the pandemic, I would, I thought I was microdosing mushrooms, but it turns out I was macrodosing mushrooms. <laughs> I was like, whoops. I remember like I, I did it for like 10 weeks and I was like, yeah, like I'm having the craziest microdose sessions. My friend was like, you're not supposed to feel them. And I was like, oh, whoops. I got so burnt out with, with writing and creativity that I was like, I'm done with music. I don't want to do this anymore. Like, but then I did mushrooms and the mushrooms were like, go sit, go sit at the piano. So I sat at the piano and I started playing and started writing a song and mushrooms were like, watch what happens. So I wrote a verse and then my head was like, yeah, this is cool, but like the fucking chorus is not going to hit and like, it's not going to be good. And like, this is all, and, and, I, and the mushrooms were like, no wonder why you don't want to write. And I was like, oh fuck. So it's just like the, it's like the intention behind why you're doing it. You know, mm-hmm. like if you're doing it to get in all the stories of like, is it radio ready? Is it like, <laughs> like that was a total tangent. I don't know. Yeah, total yeah, tangent. Yeah. So, so I'm making like I'm making a big shift of like music is sacred and sound is sacred and like coming from a different place, different orientation. Like I get, I guess like sitting sitting down to write a song can be a prayer and a ceremony, and you can literally channel the divine through you, or it can be like 
let's write a pop hit. And there's nothing wrong. Like there's nothing wrong with either one of these, but, but or like, oh, I need to write because I don't mean something if I don't write. It's like a nuance that's very different and subtle, but leads to two different things, you know? And I'm learning like everything is like that. Like everything in life is like that. There's something called grape. And it's like, it's like a tobacco that you blow in your nose. And it's safe. It can be a sacred medicine where you can have like full blown, you can talk to the spirit and like get downloads if, if your intention is there with it. Or you can just hit it like cocaine like 20 times a day, you know? And it's interesting because it's the same substance, but two completely different orientations, you know? And creativity is like that. So I'm coming back home to that and it feels good. Wow. Okay. Well, I think I want you to talk a little bit about how this like spiritual side of you grew and developed. Cause remember you, you've never been like non spiritual. I think you have some Greek Orthodox in your background and like you had a girlfriend, you took you to church a little bit. <laughs> but then like I caught up with you. Church. Like I didn't talk to you. Yeah. That was wild at the Beverly Hills. Yes. Yeah. Whatever yeah. hotel that was, that was wild. But then I caught up with you after not talking to you for like a really long time. Maybe this was like a year ago now. I don't really know. But it was really refreshing. And I said, yeah. And I'm like getting into a little bit of this like woo woo stuff. And you're like, I'm like woo woo as fuck now. Like I'm like, right. <laughs> So like, I wanted, and you told me a little bit about your ayahuasca experience and yeah, I guess without giving the whole book away, I mean, just like, give me some. No, no. Give me some of the highlights or whatever. Well, so like, I've been into spiritual stuff since I was a kid. Like walking into mystical stores and feeling like at home and reading books about Buddhism and, and stuff like that. But like, it never connected. I look back and I'm like, yeah, I wanted to be a famous rock star, but like what I most wanted was a connection with God. Mm. Like what I most wanted was to know that I'm not alone and feel some kind of connection with the divine. Mm. And I mm-hmm. never got it. And it was heartbreaking because what happened was I was depressed and then I like, I just wanted connection with divinity and I'd go to sacred places. I'd read these things. I'd do these things and nothing connected. And when it didn't connect, my shots from brain would be like, see, you're alone, you're meaningless, like your life doesn't matter. The mind blower of, of the ayahuasca sesh was the first, I did ayahuasca in one night and it wiped out 10 to 15 years of depression, just like that. Wow. And the biggest message was, I just got bullshit with God and divinity and realized that like, I was never alone. I've been guided the entire time. And that's what my depression was about. That was the biggest mind blower to me because I never could have figured that out with talk therapy, never could have figured that out with medication. All those things played integral roles to leading me there. It's crazy, like reading about it and then experiencing it. And like, it was just, it was just the, and the there's no, it's, it's, there's no words for it, you know, because our brains are not equipped for that, but like just experiencing like limitless, boundless consciousness, like infinity, like all that. So that led me on like a deep spiritual path. And I, I played myself earlier this year. I don't think, I don't know if I told you this, but it was like March of this year where I, I, I went to like four ayahuasca sessions a year ago, like a month, month back to back. And they were the gnarliest, just brutal sessions. And there was a live musician there and I hit my friend up who does the ceremony, just like, Hey, you know, like if you ever need music for these ceremonies, like I would love to play thinking I could just come up with like two songs or whatever. And she's like, oh, that's great. I have a ceremony a week. And she sent me a songbook of 60 songs in like Spanish and Portuguese and like Sanskrit mantras. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. So I learned, I learned like 30 songs in a week. And then I started playing ayahuasca ceremonies. Being in a rock band for 10 years, you think that would have prepared me for this, but like, nope. 
but so that's been like the biggest life-changing gift ever and, and like realizing like coming back to like oh sound is my gift songs are my gift and then literally having the just having these crazy experiences having so much energy flow through you are playing music and then it's been like the biggest teacher the biggest savior the biggest life changing thing it's mind-blowing too because i'm watching this shift in me where i can't play rock music anymore like i try to do it and i can't play songs that don't like aren't in alignment so it's been like a weird kind of mind bender shift for me but it's been cool can you just can you riff on a little bit like that relationship between like creativity like spiritual creativity and like the existence of the business side like the music business because you were so deep in it you had all the things you had the agents you had the international agent the domestic agent the management team the the Mm -hmm. record label you went on tour with the smashing pumpkins you you know like there's definitely and there's Mm -hmm. so much awareness of the business side like what do you feel about that or are you not thinking about that like since your orientation to your Um, like craft has changed so much that's what i'm thinking about so basically like it's been a big, I think the most important thing to me right now is like spiritual growth. Yeah. And and then you realize, okay, like the whole world's playing a game. The whole world's <laughs> playing a losing game. And for me, I feel like I found the game to play. And that's the most important thing for me of just like awakening. And that sounds so fucking douchey to say that out loud, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because like, music and i mean the music industry is a game it's just a game in the matrix and it can get weird it's interesting because like the spiritual side of music is like the spark of creation isn't any isn't everybody like when people write songs we're just channeling the divine and like the same source that channels through me to write a song is the same source that channels through you to write a film and it's like Tom Petty taps into the same source that David Bowie does, you know? It's like, honestly, like the most, for me, it's like the most spiritual act of all time. The most spirit, yeah, like it's a prayer, it's an offering, it's an encounter. And then it's interesting because then you go, go to the music industry and I was thinking about this the other day and I'm actually going to write a book about this and it's probably going to be called Thank God for Creativity. It's interesting because like we had a hit with Howl and then everyone's like, can you just write another one of that? And I was like, I don't know. And then I tried and it didn't come out well. It's hard when you have a bunch of people monetizing you and telling you, can you do this? Can you be this? And then I'm over here being like, yeah, I could try that. And then like not even having the awareness of like, what does my authentic self want and what do I need? And you know, what's interesting is what you say about like, yeah, I had a manager, I had an agent, I had a tour manager, I had business Mm -hmm. manager, I had every (laughs) producers, like everybody, there was no one to like actively manage my creativity. Because like what happened for me was that making orthodox was so traumatic for me that like my creative my creativity shut down. Mm. I went from being able to write a song, a full song in 30 minutes before that record, like full song lyrics, music in 30 minutes, just like that, like channel it. And then after I couldn't write a full song and it would take me weeks or months to write a full song. Yeah. Cause that process was so painful. So then it that led me on like a probably I don't know, seven to eight year creative recovery of getting over that and letting myself create again. So do you feel, I mean, maybe it's still in process, but like, do you feel a feeling of like, I don't care if anyone hears what the songs I'm writing now, or do you still feel that like, 
a little bit of both. Like I'm just creating for the sake of creation. It connects me with God or, but also like, could this be on the radio? <laughs> like, Well, it's, it's both because there's still a part of me that's like, why this came up? Oh, it still comes up. I'm like, why am I not famous? Should I be more famous? I wish I had more fans. I wish I was on tour. <laughs> I wish I could do this. And it's like, all that shit comes up. And then I think about like karma too, of like what, like everyone has different karma they're working out. And for some people that's like fame, you know, and for some people it's losing fame Mm. or for some people it's gaining money or losing money. So Mm -hmm. it's really interesting because I thought my life was over and the rock band blew up and it just turned out like a bigger, a much bigger path is emerging. But yeah, I would still like that. But it's, but also it's really fun. Just, I feel like I'm 18 again, actually. I'm like an independent. I've been playing at these medicine ceremonies. I'm recording them. And I'm like, you can just put them up on SoundCloud. Like, no fucking big deal. You don't have to yeah. do a nine-month rollout, you know? Yeah, or your label so. gets pissed at you if you, like, put something on YouTube or something. Do you think that, I mean, you access that reality through ceremonial drug experiences. But is that... But you, can, you can do it without. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, that, that's what I'm learning too, you know, because I'm like, I'm going to lay low on the, the psychedelics for a minute and just integrate everything. But, yeah, you know, it could just be presence too, because when I write songs, it, like now it's been going like I'll write for 20 minutes and riff for 20 minutes and just like, I don't know, it's really primal and just like present, you know, but it feels really powerful. That's awesome. Where did the idea to write this book come from? And when did you know, like... <laughs> I have to become an author. It's <laughs> a good question. But I keep playing myself. The second, I think the second medicine ceremony, this is like 2019, like fall. And I did a medicine ceremony and I was with my friend Christina and we got an email about the ceremony. And I was like, hey, did you see there's a ceremony? And she's like, yeah, I just signed you up. So I did it and I, I got like a seed was planted of like, oh, I could write a kid's book one day. And I was like, that's weird. Like never thought about that, you know? So that was probably you probably was, trying to like out. reparent your inner child. You're like, I want to give my inner child a book. <laughs> I don't know what it was about. Yeah. It's fu- It's funny. Yeah. I've been doing that a lot this week, actually. Fucking just weeping. So in January of 2020, I was like, I had this idea of like, oh, I should write a blog about everything I learned from 10 years of depression. So I sat down at Cafe Gratitude in Venice. Very on brand. She's like hearing me say it out loud. I'm like, wow, <laughs> you're, I, it is on brand. I'm like not owning it right now. I'm just like, oh, oh. I know. I, know. So I mean, aggressive with like all the ways you're embarrassed of yourself is like part of the healing, right? <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. It's funny. It is the healing. Just I mean, it. I'm embarrassed of own myself. It. So yeah, you have to learn to own it though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny as hell. So I sat down and wrote this blog and it didn't work. I wrote out 10 points and wrote a sentence each and it just didn't work. And I was like pissed about it. I was like, what? This is dumb. So then like the pandemic hit, I like put all music on pause, like just try to take care of myself. And then I was sitting at a coffee shop in August, like seven months later, six months later, and I was writing about something, doing like an exercise from the artist's way. And I looked up and I was like, Oh, I know why that blog didn't work. I was like, cause it's a fucking book. And then that thought came up and I was like, I can't write a book, can I? And then the next thought was like, no one told you how to write songs. That worked out pretty well. So I was like, oh, fuck. And then I bought like five books on how to write books or how to write. I don't have training in writing. And then 
I did what I do, which is jump headfirst into something without thinking fully like what the consequences are, like what the workload is or like how long it's going to take. So I started writing. And when I started, I couldn't write for more than 15 minutes because of ADHD or like anxiety or whatever. And then I, over a year and a half, I worked up to four hours a session. And the process was like really unsexy. It was like, I wrote for two or three months and made a mess. And then I was like, oh, maybe you should have an outline. And then I was like, okay, like I, I was, I subscribed to Neil Strauss's email letter and he thankfully was like posting a, a series about like how to write a book. So that was a godsend. I was like, you need to wrap this shit up in like a year or two because you can't be that guy who's, I'm writing my book. So that kind of pressure helped, but it was really good because it, it forced me And you to did it, right? Like you got it done in about a year. I think it's pretty impressive that how quickly you got it out. And you did a crowdfunding campaign. You decided to not look for a publisher. What were some of the factors that made that path clear? I think I have like a little bit of contract trauma still because I don't want to be stuck in anything. And on one hand, I'm like, you can't let that keep you play small, but I think on the other hand, oh, here's what it was. I just, I worked for two years on this. And I'm like, I don't want to give the rights away to someone. Like I want to own what I make. So I, I talked to a dear friend of mine who's a music manager. She basically said like, we, we walked up both paths and it's like, if I tried to sell it, it's like record deals. They might be like, we need a new cover. We want to change this. We, you know, and then fucking by the time you do that it's a year later and then they're like okay we need 10 months of rollout and oh we're not going to do anything like you're in charge of it so i figured if i'm in charge of the promo and the storytelling i'd rather just spearhead everything and make it exactly how i want to and the indiegogo thing was i think marcy i don't remember where the idea came i think it was from marcy so i've been writing songs with her and she's like yo you should do indiegogo and i like set it up and like this again, my typical had no plan. I had like two or three days of planning and then like it went really well. Yeah. So you raised the money yeah. to self-publish and like so pre-sold books along the way. Like how many copies did you pre-sell through mm -hmm. the campaign? Pre-sold 300 copies. That's great. Which is pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. What do you want people to know about it? What do you, who is it for? You must have had a sense of purpose to do this because it's intensely personal and vulnerable. And they want to share it with people. I know you have a sense of purpose about that aspect of it. Yeah, it's interesting to say that because that sense of purpose is what kept me through that whole process. When I wanted to stop was like, I, I was grounded in like, I'm doing this to help people, doing this to turn my suffering into life for other people. So the idea was, I want, this is the book I wish I would have had at 20. Like when I was lost and had no idea what the fuck was happening and was just in pain and I wish I would have known all this. And the book is basically like me presenting a smorgasbord of all the areas depression can come from and what you can do about it. So the biggest holy shit moment for me when that ayahuasca thing was, oh, everything I thought I knew about my own depression is entirely wrong. Because what I realized was my depression was grist for the mill for a spiritual awakening. It was all part of the karma to work out and just like the path to lead me back to lead me back home. So I, the first thing in the book is basically like, what is the relationship you have with depression? And it goes back to that like orientation thing of like, if you think your depression is a terrorist or like whatever, like it, odds are you don't have like a bumpy time. But if you start to get curious and be like, okay, like I'm walking a path with depression, I'm going to try to explore as many different opportunities, as many different things. And I don't know what's going to work, but I'm willing to trust that there's a plan that 
I am being guided right now and there's a plan for my life bigger and more beautiful than I ever could have planned alone. So it, like, the book starts with that and then it goes into basically self-care, thoughts, presence, belief systems, identity, like all these different things. And basically like for me, the book is a smorgasbord of places you can check out and go fully deep into on your own. So, Yeah, it's so hard if though you're in the depths of depression and you hear about all these things and it seems overwhelming. It's all about taking it one day at a time and just trying one thing at a time. The truth about depression is it's complex because people are complex there's spiritual levels there's f- physical like diet stuff that feeds into it and all kinds of stuff childhood stuff psychology stuff so you can like treat it from all these different levels like oh i should like find some social support i should like eat better i should you know and but when you're depressed like that can be really it's hard overwhelming i know it can be really hard yeah and then you think everyone's out to get you and like you don't and then trust it turns into like a guilt and... cycle too like well, that too. Yeah. 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 It's a marathon of just like a little bit each day and learning to be okay with that and trusting that like these small steps are going to lead to something else. Because like changing your diet might not pull you out of depression, but it's going to set you up in a better way to, it's like the runway for the airplane to land on. You're building something up in a good way, you know? Right. Yeah. So you like very much articulated this as like you're still in process and how like your orientation now is all towards spiritual growth so are you comfortable saying where you're at now and like what you're working on in yourself or do you have goals or particular things you're working on you're so funny i was i want to think about goals i need like i need like human goals again but i as opposed to extraterrestrial goals (laughs) no as opposed to like part of the thing the other way i played myself was that i think um there's probably going to be thank god for anxiety and thank god for adhd and like, thank God for death. Like, there's gonna be like chicken soup for the soul of alchemy, you know, <laughs> with like ridiculous fucking stories. Cause that's the thing about the book, too. It's like, it's a heavy topic, but it's funny as hell because there's a bunch of stories from like the band and like psychedelic stories. Like, I turned into a crystal one night, like, told that story. But I've been in this, I've been in this huge process of things. This is fucking crazy, Sarah. You know what the create, like, I wouldn't have believed any of this shit five years ago. I was like, so just like, this, this is reality. This is it. Like, fuck past lives. But like, I read about like the yogis. I was like, that's bullshit. Everything's bullshit. <laughs> and then I'm just like, I'm having all these insane experiences. So I've been really working through anxiety. And it's been a fucking dogfight. Right. Like depression with ayahuasca. She took that out in one night and it was gone. And anxiety has been... So here's what I'm realizing is that it's been... I've never felt safe my entire life. Mm. And I'm tracing that back from being born two months premature, being in an incubator, like separation, abandonment, wounds from being pulled out of the womb, being put in an incubator. There's all kinds of lights, juvenile mouth, no one's touching me, doctors everywhere. You don't know who's a threat. So it's been like a really long, really long process of pulling the string back and unraveling that and i think this week i've finally made a breakthrough and there's been like it's been so loaded which is a bunch of wild like stuff that i and it so that that's what i'm working on right now it's like really just finding safety in my body being okay with being present and the biggest is this is the biggest shift i'm working on right now is because I, in the past, I come from head first where I'm like, okay, overthink everything, worry, have anxiety, plan, 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 organize. 
and it just burns me out. And now I'm like, okay, come from body first of like, what do you feel in your body? What do you need right now? What's your intuition saying about this moment instead of what is my head saying about this moment? So that's like kind of the biggest shift. And it's weird because it's like this kind of pulling this back and going out of here, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I totally feel that. (laughs) Anxiety is brutal. I would not, I would not wish it upon anybody. Yeah. What are some of the practical tools? Like if you find yourself moving into that space or like you mentioned like sleep anxiety or like waking up anxious at night, do you have practical tools for if you start to feel that come up? Yeah, I think I, I was going to write about this and it's good we're talking about can. this, but yeah. I know you're right. It's, I think it's, it's moving because it's just energy stuck in your body. So it's, I have a thing where I'm just like, I'm just going to stay in bed and suffer. You know, it's like, no, you get out, you can scream in a pillow, you can hit a pillow, like physically moved. You could take a cold shower, like just changing your state, like rapidly. You could exercise, do some yoga. But it's interesting because like I'm learning like, okay, what is the anxiety I can breathe through? And like, what is the anxiety where I literally need to like physically get energy out of me? Mm. And that's just a two main calibration, you know? But Being I think like another thing the difference is like- in your body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, that's a big one. And, and then also, oh, this is a huge one. This is what broke me through was I was, I realized that 32 and like the sleep anxiety is the three-year-old who was terrified of going to sleep and he's still in me. So then communicated with him and being like, hey, bud, like, what do you need? I know you're feeling really afraid right now. Like, how can I serve you and how can I be there for you? Like in meditation? And then you listen. Is that usually, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I was just breathing in bed. Like mm-hmm. I just had eyes closed. The other thing with anxiety that can really spin you out is um, you start to get anxious and you're like, oh, fuck, I have to do something with this. Like, this is wrong. I write about this in the book and I call it the seven layer shit cake where... It's like you start with a fear and then you add shame on top and like more fear and like denial and resistance. And then like before you know it, you're just dealing with a storm in your head. So like when the anxiety comes up, just just like grounding yourself and be like, am I safe right now? Am I in any threat of danger? And then you're like, okay, no, like I'm just in a bedroom alone. There's a dog staring at me like we're good. But it's it's a fuck. And again, like it's been a dog fight, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I did this meditation. I learned this meditation exercise where it was like, once you do some breath- breathing, attend to your breath and stuff, and then you think about the thing that's making you anxious or whatever the thought pattern you're in, and then you notice where you feel that in your body, and then you look for another part of your body that feels more calm, and you focus on that. Like you do the mi- mindfulness where you put your mind like, okay, and sometimes I'm like, where I don't know, like I guess my arms or something, <laughs> and you just focus on that for a little bit, and then it's guided. So you go back to the anxious spot, and it's like, a little less anxious it feels smaller and not as threatening and you go back and forth until it shrinks the anxious part it's really wild but i was impressed last time i did it how well it worked it was pretty wild how the body has that power yeah. over what you think is all in your mind well and like this is the craziest part about anxiety is i'm in the band broke up i like went back to santa barbara with family and every night it, i was like bro fucked your life up beyond redemption i think about bad decisions bad money decisions like why do we hire that guy oh fuck and just and it got to the point where it felt like an elephant was stepping on my chest and then the physical sensations of it felt like the grand canyon opened up in my chest and i was just falling and i remember thinking like i read it in the book too i went downstairs one night and i looked at a toaster and i was like oh that toaster's just being a fucking toaster like there's no alarm nothing's happening 
there's no danger. But it was crazy because I was like, oh man, our minds are pretty powerful. We can just send ourselves into a, this air state. And if we're capable of that, we're also capable of doing the total opposite. And like, I think the craziest thing for me right now is that I'm able to breathe through the anxiety and then like bliss comes out and I'm like, what? And it's like, they're so close to each other now. It's just, it's like everything. It's just like trauma, something happens and then you're conditioned in a certain way. And then you do things in a certain way and then you get stuck in those patterns and then you have to be aware of those patterns and then start to change the way you're doing things. And then you can mm -hmm. start to cultivate some freedom, but it totally. just it takes a lot of awareness, a lot of consciousness. 100%. 100%. Two more questions. They're both kind of practical. And one is because I'm about to start my crowdfunding campaign in a few weeks. I don't, when this airs, I'll probably already be doing it. But how did you... I don't imagine that came supernaturally to you to like go on the internet and ask people for money. <laughs> so can you tell me what sort of what got your head in that and like what framing enabled you to do that, to be seen publicly and to ask for people to support you as an author? It's a good, it's a good question. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of fucking crazy, right? I mean, this is what I think about. Like I raised 20, almost $23,000 for a book that didn't exist yet. And I have no experience in writing. I'm not an author. I'm a musician. Like it's kind of fucking crazy when you think about it. I also had no plan. And I have a really hard time putting myself out there on social media. I have a really hard time working on expressing needs, expressing desires. Like that does not come naturally for me. It's terrifying. Like I had a girlfriend for three years. Could not even ask for a blowjob because it was so fucking scary to me. Like the rejection. I'm sorry, that was too much. Not at all. Okay. But I launched the Indiegogo on a Thursday and no one liked it. And I like, took it down and I was like, oh, 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 this is uh -huh. this is too much. Yeah. And then I think what it is, I think it's just people want to support you and they want to help you. Because I think about me, I help everybody to the point of annihilation. Even when I don't want to help people, I still help people sometimes. So I think like being grounded in a like, I have a purpose and a mission here because yeah. like, and I'm trying to do good and I'm trying to help people and I'm trying to bring light to people. So that was my whole thing. And it's just storytelling of yeah. like, okay, this is who I am. This is what I went through. I don't want other people to go through this. Maybe my 10 years of depression could be your 10 months because of this book. And I think that helped a lot because if I was just like, hey, I want to make a record or something and didn't mm -hmm. have a story behind it, but. It was a doozy. There was a couple of people I was like, okay, I asked, asked these people for two grand or one K and I did it. And you know what? You know what's crazy is I did it and they both said no. Then that two K came from two other people that I never thought. It's also a practice and presence of I'm just going to have no expectations. See what happens. Mm -hmm. Who knows? You could do some planning too. Like I did some planning and wrote a bunch of people like who, who sure. would potentially donate. But it's also, it's fucking wild like, posting on social media every day because like, I don't like that shit and no one likes the posts. And you're just like, I don't know. <laughs> but oh, like, yeah. I also, you never like, know like what the algorithm's doing either. I don't know. Also, like, I feel like No, there was something about it being like not being music. I mean, I think I still would have given money to your crowdfunding campaign for a new album. Just because yeah. I, I know you. Okay, and that's cool. I mean, Steph. I'm sure people but, would be stoked on that too. But there's something about like how bold you were about doing something that was outside your comfort zone that made me feel like you would only do this if you felt like you were really supposed to. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was compelling, actually. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. This is the thing, too, is this book has taught me what's a fuck yes. Mm-hmm. 
because like my whole life and it's even in beware of darkness i've gone like people have been like hey you should do this and i'm like okay because like i didn't trust myself i wasn't in tune with myself and this mm-hmm. book came around and i'm like oh this is like the clear full you body fuck feel- yes you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like cool. and also i was like i will put my own money into this like if it doesn't work so like that was a big thing for me where i was like oh look at that where i didn't want to put money into music yeah like so yeah yeah Cool. And then lastly, I like to end on other just what's worked for me. So I'm curious what books about writing were the most helpful for you. You mentioned Neil Strauss. That was one one thing. Um, yeah, he did an email email list. There's one called On Writing Well. There's one Stephen King wrote one that was pretty good. I love that one actually. Mm-hmm. I've read that one. I like Have you read that one? Yeah, it's yeah. good. And it's got great stories uh, too, which makes it a lot of fun to read. So yeah. such good stories right here. Yeah. Yeah. There's a book called, okay, so Tucker Max wrote a book called The Scribe Method, and that was really helpful. That was actually, that was the most helpful book because he takes you on like outline, outline to publishing. And it's like three, 400 pages. And like that, that, that was my Bible. And then there's one more about grammar by Dunk Strunk, E.B. White and Strunk. Okay. That was like, it's like a hundred pages and it's like so unsexy. <laughs> but that's good. Cool. So like, then- do you put a period here or a colon? <laughs> and then maybe this is stuff that's in the book, but like maybe on the like mental health or spiritual side or like what, something like if you, someone can't do ayahuasca and ayahuasca ceremony, like what are some of the things you like to talk about? It's going to be in a different spot, you know? Totally. I, I think there there's like the baseline of like self-care of like, are you eating enough? Are you sleeping enough? Cut out caffeine, like no alcohol. You could go down the antidepressant path. Sometimes it doesn't work for people like getting into spiritual text and like prayer and like just opening that up because i think that the thing about spiritual experiences ayahuasca and like medicine is like what it does it's just it takes you out of your brain and your thoughts and you realize you're so much more expansive than that and like that type of realization can come from like a meditation retreat it can come from being in nature it can come from like having a child born or something there's all kinds of different things and then again i think the biggest one is just like self-compassion and being curious and, and waking up and saying, okay, like, I don't feel good. Like, what do I need? How can I take care of myself? Because it's going to be so much easier if you're your own friend instead of you're crucifying yourself because it's so easy to crucify yourself with depression. Like, I hate how I feel. I hate how I'm showing up. I'm terrified of everything. But I think like just talking to someone too, like speaking it out loud because the biggest mistake I made was not speaking it out loud because I had so much shame about it. You know, I was a male, I was a man who was depressed, who like was sensitive as hell. I thought I had to show up in a strong way and like always be on. And I thought I would be just destroyed if I told anybody how I really felt. But the joke is like, there's more power in speaking it out loud. So those are like some short tips. It's cool. There's like, it's cool. Cause like, there's also like wacky ass shit you can do like past life regression stuff like there's like fringe things that are cool there's retreats you can go on so i like i think the thing about depression is people are like nothing works for me and i'm like that's bullshit there is something that will work for you you just haven't found it yet like pan the camera out to the macro view of like yeah depression is leading you somewhere it's taking you on the adventure of a lifetime yeah and like i will fight for that message because i I, it happened for me and i know it can happen for anyone else because like i'm just a dude you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Part of the disease is like it's hard to have hope, but 
like I want. Well, yeah, the, that's there is I hope. want. I'm, I want, and I'm sure you want people to know that there is hope, and there's people yeah. like us out and, there and holding it, hope for you. You know. And, and when people told me that shit, I was surprised. Like, it'll get better. I'm like, I'm gonna kick you in the face right now. Like, what do you mean it's gonna get better? You know. But like, all those things are true. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to see. It's hard to understand that. But it just like made me steps. That's the interview, folks. I hope you enjoyed it. There's actually way more from this conversation. We ended up talking for a while. We ended up sharing some stories from the music business about when I got to go to Europe with Beware of Darkness, when they were on tour with the Smashing Pumpkins and some wild things that happened on that tour. In the coming months, you'll get a chance to listen to some of these outtakes, less, not unedited, but less edited episodes. So keep an eye out for that. I like to keep the episodes tight, though, so that you'll listen to them. Kyle's book, Thank God for Depression, is available now in paperback and audiobook. Linked in the show notes. You can learn more about Kyle at kylenicolaitis.com. Linked in the show notes. Or also on his Instagram. Remember, you can go to winemakermovie.com or follow the link in the show notes to get to my crowdfunding campaign and support post-production for The Winemaker, which is a new sci-fi project about a winemaker with a cosmic secret trying to finish the year's vintage before her extraterrestrial enemies catch up with her. For a few grand more, we can um, make sure this movie doesn't get stuck in post-production purgatory. You can go to winemakermovie.com or follow the link in the show notes and follow, pledge, or share. If you ever want to leave a question for me or for Kyle or any of my guests, you can use this service called speakpipe.com slash secretartproject. Or you could just email me, sari at secretartproject.com to connect about whatever you want. My intro music is Lawless Flawless by Omniflex. Special thanks to Omniflex for letting me use that song. My, my website is secretartproject.com. Very excited for the future. Have a great week.